Victory! Come on, we are live coming to your houses, your apartments, your hotel, wherever you're staying all over the world. We're so glad to have our whole Victory fam. And we, we're a family, we're not a crowd. So listen, if you're tuning in from Indonesia, Philippines, uh, China, Australia, Russia, Norway, Brazil, wherever you're tuning in from, we just wanna welcome you. And please, on that chat right now, I want you to just type in what you need. What are you praying for? How can we agree with you? We wanna hear from you. We wanna pray for you. We wanna know where you're watching from, who's with you right now. And as you can see, I am set up today to preach a message with my hero, my dad, Pastor Billy Joe Doherty, the founding pastor of our church. My mom and dad started Victory in 1981. And um, I was praying this week about what to do this weekend, how to, how to just continue to stay innovative and creative. You know, if you were there for our drive-through church service on Wednesday night, we had never done something like that before. And I said to the people on the parking lot that desperation is the breeding ground for innovation. Desperation can either cause paralyzation or innovation. And we as a church decided to innovate, to get creative, and to just start trying ideas that were coming to our minds, our hearts, team members. And so one of the ideas that was thrown out this week was, what if you tag team preached with your dad? What if you found one of Pastor Billy Joe's sermons that spoke directly to fear and anxiety and hopelessness and depression and a message from his time that you would connect to our time right now? And so that's what I'm gonna do right now. I'm gonna preach this message. I'm so excited. What you're about to hear are words that my dad preached in 2001, right after the September 11th terrorist attack, right during the time when there was an anthrax scare in our world. And some of you uh, weren't even born yet. Some of you that are watching right now, you were born in 2003 or four or five or 10. Uh, but this was a time where our nation was in fear. Our world was in fear and my dad spoke straight to it, and I'm gonna tag team preach with him. So every few minutes, um, I'm gonna push pause, and I'm just going to preach alongside my father and talk about what he's sharing and how it relates to what we're going through right now. Before we get into that, let me do this. We say a declaration every week. So if you're standing in your house, sitting on the couch, I want you to stand up with me right now, and uh, I want us to say a declaration. In fact, behind me, you could see this phrase is a big deal to me, that the best days for the church are not behind us, but are truly in front of us. And so we're gonna declare this together all over the world, all over the city. We've got the words on the screen. On the count of three, I want you to say it with me. Here we go, one, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Come on, somebody. That's right. Hey, give somebody a hug, a high five. If you're married, give them a kiss, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do. But go ahead and sit down on your couch. If you're all by yourself, you're not alone. You're not alone. If you're sitting in your apartment all by yourself, I just want you to know, look, you're not alone. There's, there's people all over our city right now that are by themselves in an apartment. We are all part of this together. So again, our online pastor right now, our chat uh, pastor is going to be praying and talking with you about this sermon as we go on. So talk to, talk to us. We wanna hear from you. Also, you can pick up the phone and call during the sermon at any moment, the number on the bottom of the screen. We've got a live pastor that wants to talk with you on the phone, pray for you. And uh, again, we're so glad you're watching right now. Okay, so we're gonna get into this message. I already set it up. 
And uh, this is the beginning of a sermon my dad preached almost 20 years ago during a time when the world was very afraid. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The reading of the Word of God is powerful. As you read it out loud, I want to encourage you to read large portions of it. As you read, I want to encourage you to pray. Early morning prayer, prayer throughout your day, prayer in the evening. Especially, especially I challenge you to family prayer. Amen. You have members of your family in your home that you would take time and pray together. That you would unite and have a family altar where you read the Word of God, you pray, you testify, you share together. How many of you do that in your homes, your families? Okay, many of you do. That's not been a part of your life. If you're a student, praying together with your roommate or your dorm wing was the thing when I was here on campus, you know. Those, we prayed, you know, nightly with, there's a band of guys that just wanted to pray. And uh, so there's always a group that, that may not want to, but there's always a group that does. I want to pause right there. I love that he said, um, there's, you may not want to, but there's always a group that's going to. You don't have to feel like praying to pray. Um, you don't have to feel like worshiping to worship. You don't have to feel like giving to give. The beautiful thing about the practices that my dad's talking about is none of these things have to be done in your feelings. Since when was faith ever about feelings? Since when was Christianity ever supposed to be based on how we feel? And so I love that he said uh, that he used to pray with his roommates in college, his, his buddies on, on the dorm floor. I used to do that too. Um, when I was at ORU and what's so cool now with technology is you can do a zoom prayer call um, on your phone I don't have my phone with me but pulling up zoom the app on your phone I've been doing this for the last week with pastors with leaders staff members and I've had 16 people on my phone that I am literally in a zoom prayer meeting with and so what he's talking about 20 years ago not only is it still relevant today, but we even have more access. In a time of quarantine, it is not a time to stop praying, and it's not a time to stop praying unified prayers. Okay, let's get back to the message. Find that bunch that wants to pray and hook up with them. I want to encourage you to fast and pray. Thank you for those amens. Fasting means going without food. Could be for a meal, could be for a day, could be for several days. It could be a meal that is uh, consistent over several days where it's breakfast every day. And, you know, you shouldn't fast something that you're already not eating anyway. That's really <laughs> not a fast. It's just, you know, whatever. <laughs> but that you would take time to fast and pray. There are some things you're dealing with that will not go away except through fasting and prayer. Amen. But it, it is breakthrough time for us, and time for us to go after intercession as never before. Psalm 91. Come on. Verse 1. Let's read it aloud. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. 
Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Come on. Yes. Lord, let our eyes be anointed, our ears, our hearts and minds, to receive the Word of God, to be changed by it. I bind the spirit of fear, and may fear leave our homes, our families, our businesses, our schools. And Lord, help us to be agents who will drive out fear yes. everywhere we go. Yes. In Jesus' holy name, everybody said. Amen. Amen and amen. The word of the Lord is Psalm 91. We received a USA Today when we returned home on the front page. It says anthrax hits CBS News. CBS News employee working for anchor Dan Rather and a postal worker in New Jersey have been infected with anthrax, officials said. Then Dan Rather spoke. He said, our biggest problem today is not anthrax. Our biggest problem is fear. That's it. I want to address that today. The biggest problem and issue in the land is the issue of fear in this hour. I want to talk about that because I said that exact same thing right when the coronavirus began to hit. I said what's even more contagious than this coronavirus is fear. Fear is, is even worse than the virus because it paralyzes us. It causes us to dread even going out of our houses. It, it causes us to be crippled and not be able to move with faith. And so even what my dad was saying almost 20 years ago, we're dealing with this right now with this virus. We're dealing with this worldwide, this fear that's causing the whole world to, to not even be bold to go out of their homes or talk to families. And we've got to get in charge of our emotions, our minds, our thoughts, our words, and so, Dad, I want you to just talk about how we overcome fear. And God has told us, fear not. Come on. Say it. No fear. No fear. We're not only to have no fear, but we're to help others get fear free. The promises of Psalm 91 are conditional. They're conditioned on the first two verses. It's important that we understand. 
I am challenging each of you to begin to quote Psalm 91 on a daily basis. Let me ask a question. How many of you already have been quoting Psalm 91 on a daily basis? All right, many of you have. This is a time to think about and make a decision to do it. Quoting Psalm 91 and releasing your faith on it on a daily basis. Teaching this to your children. Getting the, the book we're giving to you free, Delivered from Evil, that has many passages in it on our protection, our deliverance, and preservation from all types of evil. Okay, so we don't have that mini book to give to you right now, but what we do have to give to you is a whole lot of the scriptures that my dad put in that mini book over 20 years ago. We put it on our website, victory.com slash encouragement. If you go to that webpage today or any moment after this video, you're going to find 33 scriptures that help you to walk in victory over fear. All of those scriptures are scriptures my dad taught me, my mom taught me at a young age. Also on that victory.com slash encouragement, you're going to find devotions that I've been recording um, since, since we've been in this time of quarantine. You're going to find uh, not just devotions, but you're going to find sermons that we've been preaching to battle the, these feelings of anxiety and fear and hopelessness. So again, everything he's sharing right now is so relevant to what we need in this hour. Okay, go ahead, Dad. That you will put this in your life. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 say, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Moses wrote this psalm. It was given to the children of Israel in the departure from the land of Egypt, heading to cross the desert. It was God's revelation of what He had done for them in their deliverance, but it was also a promise of what He would do for them in the future. And that they could stand upon this word in the most difficult circumstances and God would deliver them. All the promises in this passage are conditional based on the conditions that are laid out in verses 1 and verse 2. It's important that you see it. Because if we're going to claim the promises of no evil will befall us, no plague will come near our dwelling place, we must meet the conditions of these first two verses. The first verse deals with your personal relationship with Jesus. The second verse deals with your confession of faith of what God's Word says about you and for you. He declares, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Now, the secret place of the Most High, we can think of that as heaven, the very throne of God. On earth, when they built a tabernacle, in it was a place called the most holy place, the holy of holies. Later in a temple in Jerusalem, when Jesus died on the cross and gave his blood for our sins, the veil of that temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It symbolized that the holy of holies was no longer in a tent, no longer in a building. Now the holy of holies is in you. Come on, what a powerful word. I love that. The holy of holies is in you. You know, I love that my dad said, uh, and, and I've always thought about that, that so often people want the promises, but they're not willing to meet the conditions 
for those promises. The promises of God are still yes and amen for the children of God. But just like my dad said, the condition is that you've got to surrender to Jesus. You've got to have a personal relationship with Christ in order to truly receive the promises that he wants to give you. It's not like God's holding those promises back. He's saying, I want to give these to you, but you've got to surrender to me. Right now, we're seeing in this hour so many people coming back to God. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you walked away from church, walked away from Jesus, walked away from all religion. Maybe you got burned out by it, but you're recognizing right now there is literally no ground that is solid except for the ground of Christ. An old song we used to sing in church is, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You know, I think about even the, the new song that Hillsong wrote called Christ Alone, Cornerstone, Weak Made Strong and the Savior's Love. Jesus is the only firm foundation. Um, in 2001, there was so much fear, the anthrax scare, the, the terrorist attack, the war that was ensuing between the United States and Iraq and everything that was going on all over the world. And, and listen, fear is an old enemy. It's not a new enemy. Fear has been going around since the beginning of time. The only way that we walk in victory over fear is exactly what my dad's saying, coming back to the solid rock. If you're watching right now and you need to get right with God, do it right now. While, while you're watching this sermon, just say, I am choosing to make Jesus my firm foundation. I am choosing to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm choosing to repent and return to God. Okay, Dad, I'll let you take it back. Tell someone, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So when he talks about dwelling in the secret place, what is this? It is having an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I was a church member for many years, but I didn't have a close relationship with Jesus. I didn't know him intimately and personally. Now, if someone said, do you believe in him? I would say, yeah, because I was not an unbeliever. I was not an agnostic nor an atheist. I had heard about Christ. I knew the stories. I was in church, in Sunday school, in youth group. But I didn't have that intimate personal relationship. And I remember one Sunday we had a testimony by a young man my age from another church in another city, and he talked about having a relationship with Jesus. It shook me. I remember I was sitting in the middle of the section on this, that part of the church, and I just stared at the guy because I knew he wasn't trying to impress anyone. He was just very simple and straightforward, but he talked like he really knew Jesus and talked to him, and then he talked to Jesus. Now, I was president of my youth group, and I didn't talk to Jesus like that. You know, being in a church doesn't make you in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't put you in the secret place. It's a decision of your will that you choose to believe with all of your heart and then put your life in His hands, that you believe and confess Him, and you allow His Spirit to come inside of your heart. In that intimate place, you have communion with the Lord on a daily basis. 
So what my dad's talking about here is obviously, I think if you're a believer, you know this, but if you're not a believer, that the idea of knowing Jesus personally is something you personally decide. A pastor can't do it for you. A church can't do it for you. And I love that he said, just because you go to church doesn't mean that you are in a relationship with Jesus. There's a lot of people who live off the check mark and they think, well, if I went to church, I'm good. God wants to talk with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to know his voice, not just know your pastor's voice, but know Jesus's voice. And that's what he's saying here is he said, I grew up in church, but it wasn't until I heard a guy talk about his personal relationship with Christ that it dawned on me, I don't have one of those. Yeah, I've got, I've got church attendance records. I can tell you how many times I went to church in the last year, but I have not had a personal relationship with Jesus. And that, that changed my dad's life back in that time. All right, we'll go back to it. Not the type of communion we think of of going to a church service and taking a cup and a, a wafer that represents the blood and body of the Lord Jesus, but the communion of the interchange of God speaking and you hearing and of you speaking and God hearing you. And that goes back and forth in a person that is dwelling. Everybody say dwelling. Dwelling. Now, this is not a drop-by. It's not a weekend visit. It's not a Sunday morning relationship. Everybody say, he who dwells. Dwells. That means a constant, ongoing, ever-present relationship. In that place of the secret place, your will has been surrendered. Why? Because the Lord is not going to be second to you. When he's Lord, that means he's exalted and means you have come down and he's come up. It means you've surrendered your will. You've submitted your life. So he who dwells in the secret place is not a rebellious, I'm going to do it my way kind of person. It's a person who says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. A surrendered life. You see, this is the condition. Everybody wants the promises in Psalm 91, but they struggle with meeting the conditions. A person who's dwelling in the secret place has the fear of the Lord in them. What is the fear of the Lord? It's a reverential respect for God that causes you to depart from evil because God is holy and His holiness comes inside of you. You don't want evil to mix with it. You know, I want to talk about the fear of the Lord for a moment. About four weeks ago, um, I really was quickened in my heart to preach a sermon called Victory Over the Virus. And it, this was in February. This was before the virus had even really gotten into America. At that moment, I think there were 70 cases in America. Four weeks ago, this wasn't on everybody's mind, but God spoke to me in the night, speak to this virus. And I preached a message called Victory Over the Virus. And one of the things God told me was the only way to kill a virus, in most cases, when you look at the Ebola virus, when you look at um, most viruses that where they have found the cure, the cure has actually come from the virus. Within the virus, there is something that they take. What they used to kill Ebola, to cure those who had Ebola, was something from Ebola. Uh, when a poisonous snake bites you, they take the anti-venom that helps cure you from that poisonous snake bite is actually taken from the poison, the venom. And what I heard God say is, the only way to kill the virus of fear is with a greater virus of fear. Um, to kill the virus of fear of the future, fear of the unknown, fear of finances, fear of the economy, crashing, fear of all these things, fear of dying. Uh, the only way to kill that fear 
is to have the fear of God. The fear of God is saying, I have a greater reverence for God than I do for the coronavirus. I have a greater reverence for the blood of Jesus Christ. I have a greater respect, honor, awe. And it's not that I'm afraid of God. It's that I so reverence how powerful God is that I am not going to allow the coronavirus or the economy or the stock market or the president or the mayor, the governor, the government. I'm not going to allow anything to dictate or to override my fear of the Lord. That's what my dad's talking about. The way that we tap into the promises in Psalm 91 is that we get a greater fear of God than we do a fear of death, a fear of uncertainty, a fear of uh, a collapsing market. All right, let's go back. And so you run from it. You avoid it. You crucify it. So the person who's dwelling in the secret place has a crucified, surrendered life. That's condition number one. Does everybody understand? Raise your right hand. Say, I understand. If, I didn't tell you to put it down yet. Hold up just a moment. I understand. If I want the blessings of Psalm 91, I must meet the conditions. Now, the second condition, he says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Many people have read this. Many people believe this, but not as many say it. You see, it is what you say that directs your life. James 3 says, your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Whichever way you turn it, that's the way you go. Proverbs 18:21 says, death and life are in the power of your tongue. Whichever way you speak, it will determine it. You know, just as he's saying that, again, as we began preaching against this virus a few weeks ago, I said to our church, we are not changing our confession. We are not getting rid of this phrase that our best days are right in front of us. We're keeping it. And people are going, but Paul, what happens if the economy crashes? What if this happens? People, you know, always ask me, how do you speak faith when fear is all around? How do you speak hope when depression is rampant? How do you, how, like, isn't that, isn't that wrong to say something so faith-filled while the world is experiencing so much defeat and fear? No. A defeated world needs a victorious church. And a discouraged world needs an encouraging church. Right now, our world is discouraged. And we've got to get our words in line with God's word. God's word hasn't changed. The coronavirus didn't change the scripture. This word of God has outlasted every virus, every sickness, every disease, every terrorist attack, every war, every uh, tyrannical leader, every government, every president, every emperor, every empire. This thing out, listen, the Roman empire during its time was one of the most powerful things that was around. And yet it came crashing down. The Roman empire came crashing down. Think about right now, the American uh, empire. There's so many empires around the world that boast as being the strongest, the greatest, the longest, the most powerful. This has outlasted. The Bible says that the, the flowers fade and the grass withers, but the word of God stands firm forever. If you're gonna declare something, why not declare the word of God? Why not get your words, like he said, the promises of God are contingent on are we declaring them? Not only are we surrendered to God, uh, but are we believing and are we declaring what God has said? And I want to encourage you, speak victory. In the midst of defeat, speak victory. In the midst of fear, speak faith. Don't change your confession. One more thing, and then I'll go back to my dad. 
when I was looking at the parking lot this, this last Wednesday night and thousands of people were out there experiencing the message of Christ, hundreds of people, thousands of people being fed in the back parking lot, food, groceries, tears coming down people's eyes saying, thank you for feeding us, thank you for staying open. I was reminded when my dad told me as a kid what he saw in the future. He took me, my brother, my sisters out on an open field and he said, what do you see? And I said, well, I see an open field. I see ants and dirt and grass. He said, I see a church for the unchurched, a hospital for the hurting, a dream center, food being given out to people who are hungry, medical clinics for those who need medicine and can't afford it. I see basketball courts and uh, I see computer labs and after school care and I see thousands of people getting saved. And you know, my dad saw something I didn't see as a kid but now I'm seeing it right now in the midst of a crisis. And it's because we've held on to our confession. I've been on the phone with pastors for the last several weeks just saying, Paul, we're watching you all over the world. We're, we're taking cues from your church. We don't know what to do in this crisis. And for some reason, you know what to do. And I told them, I said, I don't know what to do. I'm just trusting in the God who's telling me what to do. And, and I'm taking the cues that, listen, we've gotta be bold. This is not a time for the church to shut down. This is not a time for us to go into closure mode. This is a time for us to go into creative mode. This is not a time for us to uh, run around like chickens with our heads cut off. This is a time to hold fast to the confession of our faith. God's word still stands true. Okay, I'm gonna let my dad preach the rest here. Jesus said in Mark 11:23, whoever will say to this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and will not doubt in his heart, but will believe that those things which he saith, 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 continual tense. New King James says, says, ongoing, says. Whoever says and believes that what he says or saith shall come to pass, he will have whatsoever he Whatever you're saying, continually saying, you will have what you say. You see, that's in your heart because of an inner relationship and communion with God. You're dwelling in the secret place and out of the abundance of the heart, the, the mouth speaks. So it erupts from you. He's your refuge because you're dwelling with him. He's your fortress because you've been communing with him. You, your trust is in him because you're relying totally upon him. And you declare with your words, he is my refuge and my fortress. John G. Lake was serving in South Africa. A plague hit that area. Thousands of people were dying. He began to go in and minister to them, and people were getting healed. He was asked why and how he could operate in that area and not be affected. He had them take some saliva from someone who had contracted the disease and they put it under a microscope, live germs and everything, they could see it. He said, put it on my hand. They put it on his hand on the top part, put it under the microscope and all the germs had died. He said, it is the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. He wasn't trying to tempt God or just prove anything, but he was demonstrating to them there was power in knowing Jesus Christ. <clears throat> when we stand upon this word, we have an absolute confidence that God is going to direct our steps. 
You see, when you're in that intimate communion with the Lord, part of your deliverance is that God knows things that are ahead that are disastrous, and He's going to lead you another way. That's why Psalm 91 verse 1 is so important that you meet that condition. Many of you want the promises of Psalm 91. Number one, you've got to have that secret place life. Number two, you must begin to say this. And I'm challenging each of us on a daily basis to begin to say Psalm 91 and to say out loud, the Lord is my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my God. In Him I have put my trust. My trust is totally, confidently in Him. Not in the bingo parlor. Not in a lottery ticket. Not in a psychic hotline. Not in the stars in the newspaper or in the sky. But in the Son of God Himself, Jesus Christ. We have put our trust in Him. During the Gulf War, almost 10 years ago, Many of you read the story of the battalion, the Psalm 91 battalion, of a group of young men who went into that battle who quoted Psalm 91 every day. They had it in their pockets. They carried it with them on a little card. And then they carried a New Testament with the Psalms included with it. That battalion had not one fatality. Not one soldier was killed in that whole group. Let's shout to God. Psalm 91. Lord, let that be for all of our troops, that they would speak the Word of God. When we begin to declare it, something happens. Job 22, 28 says, You will decree a thing, and God will establish it unto you, and light will shine on your paths. I love that. I love the story he shared from the Gulf War. And I've heard so many stories similar to that one where people should have died. People should have, whether it was from a sickness, whether it was from a, a violent attack, um, being either at war or just being attacked. I remember talking to this guy who worked at a gas station. And this was in the early 90s. And while he was working at the gas station here in Tulsa, um, not uh, in, a, in a rough part of town, he was going outside to empty the trash can um, and when he was walking back inside a guy held him up with gun with a gun and began to walk him towards the cash register and said give me all your money or I'm gonna kill you and this was a, a robber was robbing this gas station in a bad part of town and the guy just began to quote Psalm 91 he began to pray in the spirit which there's power when you tap into the Holy Spirit and being able to have a heavenly language. And I'm gonna talk about that soon here in the next coming weeks. Uh, but he began to pray in the spirit and he began to just quote Psalm 91. All of a sudden, this robber pulled the gun away and saw something that the gas station guy didn't see. But later on, the robber turned himself into the police. And he said, I don't know what to do. There was a huge man standing behind that gas station worker that so scared me that I, I know, he, he basically said, I know it was God. I know it was an angel, and I know I've got to repent. This man turned himself in. Listen, there's power when we tap into the Word of God. What, what my dad's saying here, what I'm saying here, and, and this whole virus, this fear crisis that's going on right now in 2020, or whenever you're watching this, uh, fear is an old enemy. Just like fear was 
being uh, passed around in 2001 with the anthrax scare, with the terrorist attack, with the war, during the Gulf War, during World War II. It, uh, it's happening right now. The enemy is stirring up fear and panic. We've got to come back to the scriptures, come back to the word of God. You know, as we get ready to come to a close, um, I'm going to finish this sermon out with my father in a, in a coming week and uh, allow him to finish it out as well. But today, I want to talk to you. And I want to just talk to you right now in your house about what things you've allowed to get in your mind or your heart that have caused you to shift from a place of fearing God to fearing this economic crash, fearing uh, whether your employer is going to keep you hired, whether you're going to get a reduction in pay, whether you'll have a house or not have a house, a car, whatever those fears are that are stirring in your heart, the fear of getting sick, the fear of catching a virus from someone. I want to encourage you to come back to what my dad said. There's two things he laid out. One, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus means he becomes the most high and you come under that. You're no longer exalting your thoughts, your opinions, your feelings above God's word. You're allowing God's word, God's will, not your will, to take the precedent, to sit on the throne of your heart. That's the first condition. The second condition, and by the way, that condition also, like he said, requires the fear of the Lord, that you have a greater reverence for God than you do for all these other uncertainties in your life. The second condition is that we would begin to speak this Psalm 91 over our lives, that we would begin to speak the promises of God. And as we come to a close today, I wanna just ask you, even in your house, that maybe you would take the scriptures we put on victory.com slash encouragement, print them off, Put them in your bedroom, put them in your office, put them in your car, pull them out and just begin to read over them. Psalm 91 is one of those passages uh, that is in that 33 scriptures you'll read there. But each one of those will begin to build your faith, build your hope. In my life, I know that I cannot rely on my thoughts or my ideas or my personality or um, what other people's encouragement. I've got to encourage myself with the scriptures of God. I've got to come back to the word of God and say, he is my refuge. He's my strong tower. He's my father. You know, when my father passed away, this message was one of those messages that just came ringing back in my heart. That even though my, my earthly father has gone, and even though I'm looking around and it feels a little hopeless and discouraging at times, um, even though there's a lot of shaky things around me, I can stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, my relationship with him, and the word of God, the promises of God are still yes and amen. So look, at your house right now, I want you to just bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna go into a time of worship right now, live in our service. And as you're watching this, I want you to just join the chat line. If you're gonna click surrender, I want you to just, there's, there's a way to do that right there on live.victory.com. If you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook or Insta, I want you to just say, that's me, pastor. I, I'm surrendering today. I've gotten off track. I haven't been following Jesus. I haven't been living with him as the most high in my life. And I'm ready to come back to that place of surrender. If that's you, I want you to just click that button right there at your house and, and tell us, we're gonna pray for you right now. Just say, that's me. I need to repent and I need to get right. And I need to come back under that authority of God. I need God's peace. I need to get my eyes and my mind off of fear and back on faith. Why don't you pray this prayer with me right now before we worship? Just say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I surrender to you. I repent of sin. 
and I receive your forgiveness. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. And God, today, I declare that your promises in Psalm 91 are my promise for my life. In Jesus' name, amen.